Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello, and welcome back to the Power Hour, the Heritage Foundation Center for Energy, Climate, and Environments podcast. I'm your host, Jack Spencer, and I'm joined today by my colleague and Power Hour producer, Mr. John Pop. John, how are you today? Ah, Jack, I am so good. I'm here in the Man Cave studio in my basement, and it's great to be back with you, Jack. Nice, nice, nice. I like to hear that. Um... You know, as you know, I work in my own man cave often, but I like to come in here to the office to do the podcast. So I'm, I miss seeing you here in the office, but I know you're going to be back soon. That's you know, right. That's right. This is our first podcast for 2024. So I didn't get a chance to tell you yet. I know it's late. I don't know how late you're supposed to actually say Happy New Year, but I'm not a man of convention. I'm going to tell you right now, John, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Jack. Thank you very much. Now, I know we did a little bit of retrospective on the last one, but just to put things in context, I think we had a really great 2023 for the Power Hour. We got we got this podcast kicked off. We endured some changes to our lineup. And most importantly, we had some unbelievable guests. I Don't you agree? The, the best guests come to this podcast right here. <laughs> the best guests in the world, as I remind people with All every single recording. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we haven't. Now, this is just a little bit of foreshadowing. I can guarantee you that's exactly what we have today. Now, <laughs> we haven't talked in a while. So, I want to know how were your holidays? Mine were great. It was kind of different because of what I'm going through with my treatment for my tongue. Uh, but it was really nice. The family was there, my wife, my daughter, and it's it just been fantastic. It was a good family time, and we, we enjoyed every minute of it. So it's, it's been really nice. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear. We had, I had a similar situation. Great holiday. Got to see lots of family and did a little bit of hunting and some fishing, stuff I like to do. Now, this holiday season was a little bit different for me. It's the first time in my however many years, my 50 years. Well, I'm, I probably didn't do this thing when I was really young. But in memory, first time I didn't see the ball drop. I think I'm getting old, John. I had to go to bed. Oh, oh no. It's it, pathetic. It, it's horrible. I mean, there's no good thing on to watch. And then the ball drops, and we're watching it on some streaming thing on our Roku. And the timing's off. It's like, <laughs> my daughter's like, it's already New Year's. It's like, forget it. It's just, yeah, it's a joke. Joke. I, th I think what we're being exposed to is that we all live in a, a simulation and that <laughs> there's just a curve in the space-time continuum, and it's becoming more and more clear to us with each day that passes. The Matrix. Yes. Now, I did mo more recently. I built a spice rack. That was really the culmination of my holiday season. It was a beautiful spice rack, if I do say so myself. I built nice. it out of... Out of uh, Oh, what are those things that stuff come on? Pallets. I built it. I, I entered oh. into the pallet building um, ecosphere, being nice. the trendy guy that I am. This, nice. 
it's just brought something to mind. I get into more fights with people who who come into work or wherever and say, I built this thing over the weekend. And what they really mean is assembled. Like they got this thing from Ikea and they say they built it. It, it. As someone who builds stuff, as someone who cuts the boards, puts the nails in to construct the thing, I am so horribly offended when someone refers to assembling something as having built it. Well, right? um, I'm, I'm dying to see. You with me? I, oh, absolutely. Guys put stuff together by IKEA, and it still falls apart. You know, it's like <laughs> it's, so, it's so pathetic. These pathetic yeah. little beta boys. <laughs> anyway, I'm fired up. I'm so happy to be here, John. I'm so happy. Anyway, <laughs> we have a podcast to do here, so let me keep let me get keep things rolling. All so right. for 2024. My hope is that we continue to bring folks good content. Of course, to help with that, we need you all to tell us what sort of content you want to hear. So now's a good time to do our housekeeping. Our email address for 2024 remains thepowerhour at heritage.org. So send us an email. Tell us what you want to hear this year or next week or whenever we need to hear it. We'll do it. We'll do our best to do it. Sometimes we get a request or two. That's impossible. Like, I can't I can't interview Elon Musk on Mars, folks. Quit emailing me that way. But if I can do it, I will. <laughs> anyway. Why not? Why not Elon Musk? Right. Well, you know what, John? I appreciate that. That's the exact sort of can-do attitude that the Power Hour is coming into 2024 with. Now, speaking of that, I'm going to be trying to give you all a sneak peek of what's coming up so you can send me some questions that you might want to hear me ask our next guest. So next week, our guest is going to be a legal expert. I'm not going to tell you exactly who it is um, because I don't want you to do all your research and you don't have to listen to us. They're going to be a legal expert, and we're going to be talking about some upcoming cases that we should know about for 2024 and what they might mean for energy and environment. So email us your questions at thepowerhour@heritage.org. And, and John, where can they find us? I, do you, uh, you, I'll just ask you. That's your job. You can tell us where they can find us. All right. Look at Herd at Heritage, The Power Hour. It's on the Herd at Heritage podcast feed, The Power Hour, and please Subscribe and share with your friends and your yeah. not your friends, whatever. Everyone, yeah, everyone, everyone, do that, please. Now, speaking of changes to our, in our lineup, I am thrilled to introduce someone that's going to be joining us. Certainly today, but hopefully each week or more weeks. I don't know what her schedule will allow, but if 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 this goes okay, hopefully she'll come back. Some of you that are diehard Heritage Podcast listeners already know her. She's hilarious, quick-witted, and outspoken. She is the director of digital productions here at Heritage and co-hosts her own podcast, Problematic Women, which is awesome, so definitely check that out. It's my pleasure to introduce to our Power Hour audience the one, the only, Lauren Evans. Lauren? I'm so happy to be here, Jack. Well, but Woo! way to set the bar low for me. <laughs> <laughs> the, I didn't set the bar low for you. No, I know. You set the bar too high. Oh. I'm hilarious. I'm quick-witted. I don't know if I can live up to that. You've already done that. Yeah. You, I only bring the best people in the world on this podcast, and you are going. You are that, and we'll, I'm sure we'll be that. Oh, I'm honored. I can't, I can't wait. Now, what I want to know, though, because Lauren and I didn't talk that much about this. Really, we've been talking a little bit like when we see each other in the hallway, I'm like, you need to come on. And she's like, I will. And then at the Christmas uh, Heritage Christmas Party— I, I, we were talking. I said, you're going to do this. She said, I am. And so today she Which is. Which is open bar. So <laughs> this is probably the reason why I'm here. <laughs> hey, oh. she, Lauren might be talking for herself. I was with my family drinking Diet Cokes. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, 
Now that said, what we didn't actually talk about, Lauren, is what's what's your job going to be here at the Power Hour? I, I I'm here for uh, I'm a personality hire, I guess. Okay, personality <laughs> hire. Nice. Here's what I hope. Here's what I hope Lauren brings to the podcast. First of all, though she is uh, Lauren is very smart and knows all these issues. I don't know that you're an energy expert per se. No, I mean I've been told I I have high energy, but I know nothing about energy. <laughs> so I want Lauren to sort of to ask questions like that that I might miss or that mm-hmm. I just think so, you know I just don't think about, and I know that 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 you will sort of catch those sorts of things. I think Lauren also, um, since I'm over the hill and sleeping past New Year's now, <laughs> brings a different a different perspective, demographically speaking. So I think that is good. I th- and most importantly, she's uh, quick-witted and funny and and can be have a, in the most positive way, biting, biting sarcasm-y type thing. So I think it's going to be great. This is not good for my ego, Jack. All right. <laughs> and hey, Jack. I was just kidding about all that. <laughs> hey, Jack. Yes. She's also my boss, okay? Well, I wasn't going to I wasn't going <laughs> to say here. John, this is between us and the listening audience. The right. other thing is is that Lauren can shut us down. Oh, okay. I could I would never. Just shut us <laughs> down. down. <laughs> exactly. All right. Now we get did all that. We actually have this is an energy podcast, and so we need to talk energy. Now, John and Lauren, it's been a couple of years since Russia invaded Ukraine. Aside from the human toll, you might recall that energy was a big issue and still is re- re- revolving all around that. It turns out that a whole bunch of folks were dependent on Russian gas and oil. So what did the non-filthy commie world do in response to that? It said, we can't have that. There, so there were all these bans on importing Russian gas and oil. That was painful for a lot of folks, especially in Europe. And rightfully so, as far as I'm concerned, they should have never let that happen to begin with. Luckily, here in the U.S., we were largely spared because we really didn't import a ton of Russian gas and oil, and we produce a bunch of it. Or, well, we still do. Biden, of course, is trying to stop that, which will create its own independ- its own dependencies. Different podcast, different day. But at any rate, it was the, the once those bans came in place, energy markets sort of adjusted. But guess what? What? That wasn't the end of the dependence on Russia energy story. And interestingly, the rest of the story hasn't been that talked about. As it turns out, the United States is also dependent on Russian energy. We depend on Russian uranium fuel to power a significant portion of our commercial nuclear power plants. What do you think of that, I, Lauren? I, You're dumbfounded. Yeah. I can't we, believe it. We have energy here. Why are we depending on Russia? Yes, that's a very good right. question. Right. <laughs> that's a very good question. As they say... Isn't this a sticky wicket that we have for ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is a serious issue. But this sticky wicket phrase is one that I've fully integrated into my Okay, here's where my questions start. As, you know, a millennial, what what do you mean by sticky wicket? <laughs> sticky wicket is an old-timey way of saying you're, you have a tough problem to solve. Oh, okay. But okay. here's, here's right. how— here's Why did how, you say we have a tough problem to solve? <laughs> because sticky wicket's way, way funnier. And it's a it's a reference to cricket. Mm. Nah. And the wicket is, I think—I'm probably got this wrong. I know it's a cricket. But the wicket, I think, is the thing the ball sits on. And when you try to defend the wicket— 
and the ball st- sticks on it. Oh, cricket ah. like the sport. Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah. So the so when the ball gets stuck on oh. the wicket, it's a sticky wicket. But here's how I've integrated it into my life. John, you can relate to this as a, a married fella. Right. You will have conversations with your significant other, which are important. They are important. Right. But sometimes you want, you, you don't care. Like sometimes you don't care, no matter how important, you just, you don't care. And my way of, of communicating to my lovely wife that I'm listening, but I don't care, but I, I'm trying not to show that, is say, well, isn't this a sticky wicket? <laughs> <laughs> Does she listen to the podcast? Is she gonna know, did you just give up too much information? Maybe, but that's all right. I'll do, it's all for the company, whatever it takes. It's code. <laughs> right. Isn't this? So anyway, this whole Russian uranium thing also is a sticky wicket. Nah. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the nature of that dependence, how we got there, and what's being done about it. And guess what, John? What? We just happen to have the absolute best person in the world to discuss this with us today. This person was on this from day one. Before anyone else was talking about it, this man was on it. He was calling me on the phone, raising all kinds of cane about it. And this guy knows nuclear fuel. He's working the, for the New York State Public Service Commission, where he was involved with licensing power plants, including nuclear. He's worked for GE in the commercial nuclear fuel industry. GE, for folks who don't know, is a big new, apart from the things that you know GE for, it's also one of the biggest nuclear companies, commercial nuclear companies. He's done a ton of work with government in this space, and he's done work in the policy analysis world, including having some done some projects with us here at Heritage in the past. Um, there's hardly a nuclear power organization that he's not in some way part of or associated with. I present to the Power Hour audience, Mr. C.J. Milmo. C.J., welcome to the Power Hour. Thank you, Jack. Good to be here. Glad that, glad for you to, to be here. I've wanted you on as a guest for a while. Um, and I think this is a great opportunity because truly you know more about this. You care more about this, I think, than anyone. And you're more hardcore about it than anyone. Um, maybe other than myself, I would say. But anyway, we don't need to de- decide who is more, who cares more about U.S. dependence on Russian uranium. So sort of, well, first, CJ, who are you? Like, I gave some in- introductory m- remarks here, but sort of tell us a little bit about what you do, how you got into nuclear, why you care, that sort of thing. Well, uh, go back to the dawn of my career when I was about 12 years old, my dad uh, took me to the New York State Fair and uh, in upstate New York. And at that time, Niagara Mohawk uh, was the power company and they were building uh, nuclear plants at Nine Mile Point. And they had a great display about how wonderful nuclear technology was. And I was enthralled. And so I've been an unabashed supporter of nuclear power and nuclear technology uh, since I was age 12. Uh, you mentioned some things I've done in my career, but I've never been very far from the energy industry. And within that broad industry, uh, nuclear generation of electric power has been my primary interest. And uh, I, uh, I was counsel to the GE nuclear fuel business but uh, GE didn't like the business that much and was shrinking it. And so in, in, uh, in 2000, I left and I've been on my own as a consultant uh, to people on, uh, on nuclear issues and uh, uh, did a lot with spent nuclear fuel 
uh, for a while, and that's how uh, Jack and I first met. And uh, uh, his interests and heritage interests coincided with mine, that, uh, that this was a very solvable problem. Uh, but there were a lot of people in uh, government that didn't want to solve the problem. But uh, for the last 10 years, I've been uh, very focused on, uh, on nuclear trade. And a lot of my work with, uh, with GE uh, involved exporting uh, nuclear fuel and nuclear technology. And uh, uh, that's been uh, uh, an area of concern because the, the nuclear market is not a U.S. market. Uh, that's a segment, but it's really a global market. And, and CJ, we, we, I should, I want to clarify, when we talk about exporting nuclear, we're yeah. talking about peaceful commercial nuclear. We're not talking um, nuclear weapons or weapons technology or anything of that sort. We're talking purely commercial nuclear. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and, and really... Uh, my engagement with the Department of Energy was uh, on export control licensing, and there is a pretty strict regime uh, that exists mainly to prevent uh, proliferation of nuclear energy and uh, for peaceful use of, uh, of nuclear technology. And we've got a nuclear non-proliferation treaty, and uh, one of the reasons why I'm so concerned about uh, uh, the ban is uh, Russia has just been a very bad actor and not following the principles of the nuclear nonproliferation treaty. All right. Before we get into the Russian thing, and John and Lauren, feel free to jump in however you want, whenever you want. I want to just give people, and we've talked a bunch about nuclear on this, but just for any new listeners, establish a few, uh, the, the context. So, CJ, I don't, I don't know if you know offhand. Do you know how much nuclear we have currently in the in the United States? Like, what the what what percentage um, of of our electricity is nuclear? Sure. For for, for decades, uh, uh, nuclear was providing about twenty percent of our uh, our electricity. And that, and and it's we have what ninety ninety three will be ninety four reactors providing that electricity. Yes, and uh, uh, but we've slipped below that twenty percent. Uh, uh, electricity uh, has not uh, had explosive growth uh, for all electricity. You don't say explosive in reference to nuclear. Oh, no. it has uh, uh, demand has been growing slightly, but nuclear was able to maintain that twenty percent uh, for a couple of decades without building new plants. By, by finding more efficient ways uh, to run the plants, so they maintained the 20%. But then about six or eight years ago, uh, people decided it would be a good idea to shut down nuclear. So now we've slipped below that 20%, and I'd say we're 18 or so. So you said it was, you know, quote unquote, a good idea in sarcasm, but why are these people pushing to ban or get rid of the nuclear energy? It was really... A situation where uh, you've got fossil, nuclear, and renewables competing for market share. They all want to be the source of energy to generate electricity. And uh, extreme favoritism for the so-called renewable sources, which are not capable of providing uh, uh, reliable economical uh, electricity, uh, has uh, taken share away from, uh, from nuclear. 
and uh, several states, notably New York, uh, California, although they've changed their mind, uh, Michigan, for now, Iowa, uh, all shut down perfectly good nuclear plants. And they said, we'd like to get our electricity from wind and solar. And uh, so the, the, the shutdown was mainly decision at, at the state level to, to change their, their generation mix. And, one, uh, and real quick, let me just add one, one thing to that, CJ, because there's another thread to that story, which is the anti-nuclear crowd will sometimes argue that the nuclear power plants were not economical any longer and therefore shut down, which is not true. What happened in many of the, in some of these cases is that um, in markets where energy is more competitively sold, because the subsidies are so robust for wind and solar, they're able to sell into those markets at below what would be actual market rates. And that's what made nuclear uneconomical in those circumstances. It wasn't because nuclear was more expensive. It was because the subsidies allowed the renewables to be sold at below actual prices. Well, uh, yeah, and, and also the, the uh, economics of generation uh, – uh, dropped markedly uh, in the last, uh, well, from 2010 to 2020 at least, uh, because natural gas became so cheap. And that's that's probably the most wonderful way to generate electricity. Uh, but uh, there are much better uses for uh, natural gas than uh, to, to burn it and use the heat to, to turn a turbine. Uh, much, much more efficient from a societal scale to generate electricity using rocks like coal and uranium uh, rather than a very valuable commodity like natural gas. Luckily, free markets can sort all that out for us if we would just let them. Well, I, I, I agree, but uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, it was in the natural gas industry's interest to uh, – uh, to say, uh, hey, we're a lot cheaper than nuclear. And for years, they were, you know, double, triple the cost of nuclear generation. But yeah, I mean, that's one of the one of the benefits of nuclear is even if it is, first of all, we don't know how expensive nuclear would be if it was allowed to really grow absent this, the, the heavy regulatory hand. So, but putting all that aside, one of the benefits of nuclear is once you build a plant, the, the fuel is really cheap and your costs remain relatively the uh, the same for 80 years, whereas natural gas, even if it might be cheaper at some point, other points, as we've seen, it goes up and down. So there are a lot of costs and benefits to each of them. CJ, I want to move, though, into the, the, the nuclear fuel supply chain. Like, yeah. it's not like you just go out and, and pump uranium out of the earth and put it into a nuclear reactor. There's a whole, like, deal that goes on. Can, can you... Qu quickly walk us through what that is, and then I want to get into what's in the United States, and what and 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 what's not. Yep. Uh, well, uh, the nuclear fuel cycle, as as we call it, uh, begins with uranium in the ground. So step one is you got to mine the uranium, and that's just rocks, and then you've got to process it, refine it and get out all of the uranium from the dirt and other rocks and everything else. And uh, you have pure uranium, but uh, uranium has different isotopes. 
The primary isotope is called U-238. That's the atomic weight. And, but the valuable part of the natural uranium, as we call it, is uh, U-235, and that is fissionable. And it's the ability of uranium to be fission, split, that is, uh, that makes it so valuable initially to make uh, atomic bombs, but uh, in more recent decades uh, to generate electricity. Uh, so the, the, to make uranium fuel, you have to enrich it, increase that percentage of fissionable U-235 from uh, about 0.7% up to 5%. And uh, uranium fuel is normally enriched to about 5%. And so you've got the ore. First, you've got to... CJ, uh, let me interrupt real quick, because yep. you keep bringing up the bombs. So I want to clarify for folks that the uranium enrichment process, if you're enriching up to the 3 to 5%, which is required for the reactors that we have in the United States and most of those that are around the world, um, uranium enriched to three to 5% is worthless for a bomb. You can't build a bomb out of that. Oh, correct. Um, uh, weapons what grade, you need to, weapons grade about 90%. Or it's, it's more than that. It's over 90%. Um, so that's, that's why we can say uh, that with not just a straight face, but it's the technical truth that the uranium fuel for commercial nuclear power plants cannot explode like a bomb and is a totally separate thing from the whole bomb infrastructure. So the next stop in the fuel process is enrichment, and, and that requires separating the U-238 from the U-235. And we do that by turning the uranium into a, a gas, uranium hexafluoride, and that gas, uh, you can separate it either by centrifuges or putting it through filters, uh, but uh, uh, through that enrichment process, uh, which is uh, uh, fairly expensive, it consumes a lot of electricity, and most of the expensive enrichment is electricity. And uh, then you get, uh, you, you convert it back into uh, uh, uranium oxide, which is what you get from the ore refining process. And that's what goes into uh, fuel bundles that power reactors. Yeah. So you, you get the uranium, uranium out of the ground. You get the, the then you have to make enrich it. Then you um, and then you can turn it into to fuel. Now, CJ. So when you say fuel, though, is there like you know I just put gas in my car, right? Is there like a tank that you put this in, or is how do you yep. take these rocks and then get the energy out of it? Well, that's, that's what my business, uh, GE, used to do, is, is you get this enriched uranium, uh, and it's uh, uh, in a, uh, you convert it into a powder, and then there's a ceramic process. You make little pellets. About the size of a pencil eraser. Interesting. Like, so like an inch, two inches? Like some, no, less than that. Yeah. So like char little charcoal bricks. Sort of like your thumb. Okay. And uh, then you put those pellets into tubes. You put the tubes into bundles. And uh, the, the fuel bundles are what go into the reactor, and they make heat. And mm -hmm. a, a nuclear reactor is, is, is nothing but a, uh, 
making steam uh, with the heat, converting water into steam, and using the steam to turn a turbine. Hmm. So what CJ just makes electricity? What CJ just described is the fuel bundle. So, so I, I it, it's um, I think I'm probably going to get this wrong. I think it's a is it 20 million or two million something like that of those little fuel pellets mm -hmm. that go into a full your reactor mm -hmm. core. Is that right, CJ? Do you know my or my orders of magnitude off? The pellet count is 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 thousands, but uh, a, a an initial an initial core of a reactor uh, would have uh, several hundred, maybe close to a thousand of these bundles, and they're about 12, 12 feet long of the tubes, and you have uh, uh, several hundred tubes in a in a bundle and several hundred bundles in a reactor and you usually refuel uh it used to be every year then it got to be 18 months and got to, and now is about two years and you replace about a third of the bundles in the reactor 10 million according to google what? how many of those little pellets will go in there okay um so anyway just since i brought it up i just googled it real quick um anyway go ahead cj i'm sorry to interrupt but so uh, uh, we want to spend some time uh, on this because uh, nuclear fuel is a highly engineered product, and 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 mining is is not easy. Refining is not easy. Conversion into gas is not easy, and enrichment is is not easy. But at the end of the day, when when you have you're generating electricity from uh, uranium. It is the most efficient way to generate energy. Jack and I talked about the work of Vaclav Smil, who's developed a concept of energy return on energy invested. Uh, the basic idea is it takes energy to make energy. And uh, uh, when you're a, a hunter-gatherer economy, society, when you expend about uh, 15 calories, uh, you get about one calorie worth of energy. Uh, nuclear gi gives you a much better return. Coal, you get about uh, uh, 15 or 20 to 1. And uh, a unit of energy for every calorie. Uh, so steam was the start of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, then we got oil, which had a much better energy return on energy invested, got up to about 20. Uh, natural gas is about 30. Nuclear is about 100 units of energy for for every uh, unit of energy you invest in in creating that. So nuclear is awesome. It just needs to be more affordable. Um, but any, CJ, what I want to get to, what I want to talk about now, though, yep. that enrichment process, or how dependent are we on Russia? Like, we, we that, yep. that's what, that's, that's really the, the crux of the matter here, is we are dependent on Russia for energy. We're dependent on them for Russian uranium. How dependent are we? So we get 20% of our electricity from nuclear. Of that, how much of that fuel do we get from Russia? Uh, 20 to 25% of our enriched uranium comes from Russia. So 20 to 25% of the fuel that goes into our reactors comes from Russia. So that's a big chunk of American electricity where we're dependent on Vladimir Putin. Um, and and it's, it's important to point out that the, uh, the, Russian, when the Russian nuclear 
industry is government owned. So when we say, uh, when we talk about U.S. companies, that's always kind of a misnomer because they're, they're companies owned by Americans. They're not U.S. government companies. That's not the case when we're talking Russia. The, this is a Russian government company, right? Uh, it is. Rosatom is a state corporation. Right. And we get, and, and so, so th that's the problem. And people don't talk about it because it's not very solvable. Because unlike the hydrocarbon market, where you, where that, that can easily adjust, the nuclear enrichment market takes significant capital investment to build that infrastructure. In addition to that, because there's so much government regulation and it's so dependent on politics, it creates a tremendous risk for companies to make those investments. And whenever the entire industry for years, literally decades, has been built around the idea that a certain amount of Russian uranium would be coming into US markets, um, it's easy for those companies not to want to make those investments because they understand that that Russian uranium may be available soon again or um, may never go away. Is that fair? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, is that, a, is that a fair description? Uh, yes. But uh, I, I want to say the 28 uh, percent is, is, is not the market share that the Russians competed for and won uh, for... Uh, at the end of the Cold War, uh, Russia had this huge stockpile of highly enriched uranium, and uh, it was in U.S. interest uh, to, to reduce that stockpile. So the U.S. government uh, cut a deal with Russia. It said, we'll, we'll buy that highly enriched uranium, have it blended down from 90% plus to about 5%, and... Uh, We'll have U.S. reactor owners buy that from you, and it was really so, low cost. If it was up to reactor owners, we would be getting 100% of our enrichment from Russia. So but, down, this, this downblending process is sort of the opposite of enrichment. It's where you take high-enriched uranium and, and, and reintegrate the uranium-238 into it. Now, Lauren, here's a question for you. Yeah. Um, not you, CJ. Yeah, Lauren. well, this for Lauren. This is a Lauren question. Yeah. How... Do you think we became so dependent on Russia? Yeah, I know. You, just like, how could we? How could this have happened? Well, and I was going to ask: Do we have uranium here in the United States? Is this like something only in the Russian tundra, or is this a something that we could find here? I uranium. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Globally, there's there's lots of uranium. It's a relatively uh, common element. And, Did you know, Lauren? If you walked. Um, 100 yards across the street to the U.S. Capitol with a mm -hmm. Geiger counter, it would go insane. Really? Because the radioactivity of the um, materials used to build the Capitol are highly radioactive. Really? I shouldn't say highly radioactive. That, that's a, like, that's should a I be concerned? You should not <laughs> <Okay>. be concerned. <laughs> well, that, that, that's one of the big things. That's, that's one of the reasons I'm glad you're here is because people, I think that you will pull out some of these things that I wouldn't think to think about. You're... You, Radio. One of the big problems with nuclear energy today, and the way we regulate it, is that it's based on a our understanding of 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 radiation sixty years ago, and our understanding of the harms that radiation caused, or how much radiation we should be concerned about, has changed drastically. Yet our regulatory environment has never been updated to really account for that. So 
The fact of the matter is you get far more radiation from the sun, from bananas, from mm. going through the U.S. Congress, through all sorts of things. Radiation is all around us all the time. Um, not to mention there's times where we subject ourselves purposefully to radiation, like if we're sick or whatever. And so we need to restructure our regulatory environment to better reflect what the actual dangers of radiation are. But getting back to this, this, your, this, our dependence on Russia thing, here's what I'm getting. And also, I will say any answer to any question that you ask me is going to be, it's the government's fault. And you'd be right. <laughs> That's right. That's the other reason why you <laughs> Oh, yeah. It is the, go the, the government as a matter of policy did this to us. They, end they, they engaged in a series of policy decisions that purposefully made us dependent on Russia. First of all, and CJ, feel free to, to, to correct me where I'm wrong or to just to butt in when you want to. Either way, I don't care. I'll do both. All right, you do both. So the United, the United States government used to do all its own enrichment because it was mostly for, for they developed this enrichment um, capacity to support our nuclear weapons program and our, our national security needs. And then as we developed a commercial nuclear industry, we used that same infrastructure to largely fuel if not exclusively to fuel the, the emerging commercial nuclear industry. We roll through the 1980s and into the 1990s, and people are like, yeah, we need to rethink how we do this. Let's privatize the, this, this, wait, this, as all government programs yeah. become bloated, wasteful, yeah. outdated government program, we need to update how we do enrichment. So they went through this privatization process. At the same time, not the same time, in the same time frame, we started this program that CJ talked about, mm. which was called Megatons to Megawatts. Where the Megatons to Megawatts is the coolest program that I think of. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and I, was, I was a big supporter of it at the time, and, uh, but it had some unintended consequences, mm. which I think- Which was exactly to kill the domestic uranium enrichment mm. industry. Mm. Um, cool name, bad outcome. Well, I, I don't know if it's a bad outcome or not. It is the outcome. Okay. It is an outcome, because okay. one of the outcomes was- we got all of we turned all of the this highly all of this uranium that was in Russian warheads pointed at U.S. cities, and we turned it into electricity mm. for Americans, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, but we never allow we, uh, and they were supplying fifty percent of our uh, of our nuclear fuel at mm. that time. So we got fifty percent during that time. Remember, at the same time, we we're sort of going through this privatization process, and government privatization efforts sometimes work. Often, they don't do the privatization the right way. I would argue that's what happened with the privatization process for the Russian uh, for, for the the enrichment industry, and so that was kind of where 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 we're stuck. And there were a number of other things that were done. Um, Certain protectionist policies. CJ and I disagree on this a little bit. I think we don't need to get into it, but I think there was too much protectionism. Um, and some other things. But the bottom line is, is that we were as a matter of policy dependent on Russian uranium and that undermined any incentive for a domestic enrichment industry to emerge. Now, what did happen is um, as we moved from that 50 percent dependence um, to where we are now, which is 20 to 24, which that's a, a quota that was set that said we will allow that much Russian uranium into mm. the market. So, so they would want more if they could. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah because it's cheap. Because it's cheap. Because yeah. because what Russia did, they have this massive Cold War infrastructure just to produce yeah. uranium. And they so they have lots of it there. Um, you had a 
European company come to the United States and build an enrichment facility. So we don't have no domestically produced enrichment, but it's, it's not enough. Or it was built with the understanding that we would have that there would be this Russian uranium coming in. And there is a domestic enrich, a, an American enrichment company. I'm not going to get into their name, CJ, because, you know, I, I don't want, I don't need to. Um, okay, well, they'd have to pay a sponsorship. Capacity, right. D- domestic uh-huh. enrichment capacity uh, is maybe 25% of, of right. demand. But, but when we say domestic, that, that is the foreign-owned, European-owned enrichment capacity. Yes. But the, so anyway, that, that's sort of where we are um, because of the moving from a government-owned enrichment industry to a private one. At the same time, you have the different changes in Cold War. You have Russian uranium coming in. And now we just don't have any and, – and, and the and American-owned efforts to build enrichment capacity – just has always fizzled out. I think it's because it was too dependent on government. We can have a different podcast on that. <laughs> and and I'm friends with those guys. We can come in and talk about it. Um, but that's just the situation right now. So that's where we are. So, CJ, we're dependent on Russia. Um, what do we do about it? Well, we've uh, Russia has 50% of the world's enrichment capacity. Uh, they, they dominate the market. They're... they're Cheap, cheap, cheap compared to other enrichment, uh, and uh, nobody can really compete with them. Uh, they, they also own uh, uh, Kazakhstan is the main source uh, of, uh, of uranium ore these days. Uh, they own the Kazakh uh, uh, nuclear mining company, Kazatomprom. And so they, they have a very powerful market uh, position. And, uh, you know, so they're the low-cost supplier. Nobody can compete with them. And that's how we became uh, dependent on them. And we would be more dependent but for uh, the, uh, uh, the import uh, restrictions placed on them by the U.S. Department of Commerce. It would be more than 20 or 25%. Uh, so, so what do we do? Well, why don't uh, we just produce more? Yeah, well, uh, Russians don't have all the capacity. Uh, we we can get enriched uranium from European suppliers, uh, and the the world demand for enrichment. Although China, in particular, is building new reactors and increasing their demand for electricity, uh, most of the reactors in Japan are shut down. So so the demand has gone down because of Japan. And foolishly, uh, Europe has been shutting down reactors, and we've shut down, as mentioned earlier, a few reactors in the United States. So, uh, you know, we don't need as much capacity, but we have a lot of capacity to serve those Western uh, reactors. So there, there, there is capacity out there. And so uh, in the new legislation, which I hope passes, uh they say. So wait, let me stop you. Let me, so okay. that that that's a situation. So there are legislative efforts to fix this, to to ban Russian uh, import of Russian uranium. Yeah, so so the fix. The, okay. So let me take a step back. So the fix here is to ban the import of Russian uranium. Full stop. That would give then the industry the certainty they need to make the capital investments to expand capacity. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So that being the case, there are legislative efforts to do that, right? Yes. Okay. Tell us about those. 
Okay. Well, first of all, the the ban legislation has not passed. In my opinion, it's uh, it's almost two years late since Jack and I started talking about why banning Russian enriched uranium would be a good idea. Uh, but but now there's legislation that's passed the House that will probably pass the Senate. The problem is, uh, as you folks in D.C. know better than I, Congress is a little bit dysfunctional. So <laughs> the, the, the uranium ban, which Congress wants, uh, is not going to be enacted until they find a vehicle that is going to pass both houses. It'll probably be part of a much bigger bill, defense authorization bill, uh, omnibus uh, budget package, appropriation package, whatever. But uh, so is this the, this is the McMorris Rogers bill, right? Pardon me. Yes, this is the yeah. yeah. And and what does that bill do? Do you know offhand? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it 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 will ninety days after the date of enactment, it will ban uh, import of Russian uranium. There's a caveat: uh, the reactor owners. Uh, and Centris, the, the main uranium, Russian uranium broker, uh, convinced Congress that, well, we, we may not be able to find uh, uranium from, uh, from friendly non-Russian sources. So uh, the legislation establishes a waiver process that if the Secretary of Energy decides that uh, uh, we need uh, to let some Russian uranium come in, uh, she can issue a waiver, and uh, and so that will continue. The ban will allow waivers, reducing the amount of imported uh, Russian uh, enriched uranium from I think uh, uh, five hundred thousand pounds, and it's confusing because sometimes we, we measure enriched uranium in different ways, uh, down to about four hundred. But by twenty twenty eight. Uh, it, there will be a complete ban, no waivers, and the, it's believed that uh, other foreign, friendly foreign sources and construction of domestic uh, uranium enrichment uh, will be sufficient in 2028 to meet all of our domestic needs. CJ, does the ban, the legislative ban, have a time limit on it? Uh, uh, well, yeah, it, it, the ban takes effect in 90 days. But, but but is it like a 20-year ban, do you know? I don't see that there's an end date for it. There's just this waiver yeah. thing. Just for what it's worth, to me, we, there should be a time limit on it, but it should be 20 years. And the reason I think that is 20 years is more than enough time to give industry mm -hmm. certainty to build out its capacity. But let's... I don't think Russia... I don't think the, the blooms of democracy are going to grow, grow in Russia. But they might mm -hmm. in 20 years. I don't know. And I think that I, I hate permanent government policies. I, if, if you can imagine, Lauren, yeah, that I hate permanent too. government this policies. This is my shock face. <laughs> um, and so that's – but, but, but I, like, like CJ, I think this, the bill is a great step forward. And I don't mean – I'm not negative on it at all. But I think that putting a 20-year time frame – and nothing less than that um, certainly either I think is appropriate. But anyway – so it, there, I think we're moving in the right direction, but there really are strong interests who I think, not, not naming any names, I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but I think that there are interests who are hoping this Ukraine thing just sort of ends mm. and then people kind of forget about it and we get the, 
then Russian uranium is okay again. Um, I would have found myself in that place probably in the past, just being the free market guy <laughs> that I am. But I think this is a little bit different. Even free mar- a free market guy like myself sees the problem that was created by, by becoming too dependent on Russia. And given the um, certainty that's needed for industry to expand, this seems totally appropriate to me. So. Well, right. And, and, and I share a lot of Jack's uh, feelings about uh, the benefits of free market economies. But, uh, but they're not my feelings, CJ. They are facts. <laughs> uh, the world has proven time and again that free markets are provide far better outcomes than otherwise. So, Putin does not agree with us, Jack. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he, he wants a government controlled economy and he's, he's using uh, nuclear fuel and nuclear technology uh, for bombs. He, I mean, he's doing a lot of saber rattling these days, uh, but also. Uh, if, if you get a contract to build and fuel a reactor, uh, you've created a 40-year relationship between Russia and India or Saudi Arabia or Vietnam or China, for that matter. Uh, and that it makes you very influential. Being the yeah, it, nuclear supplier of a country makes you very influential. And we need to start bringing this to a close, CJ. Um, but I think that's a really important point here. That's an important broader point. It's not just our dependence on Russia, but as the world reawakens to the value of nuclear energy and their different um, nuclear, different the, the sectors of nuclear energy and different companies are starting to, to think about how to become more competitive. There's no question, but that the countries whose companies provide the most vertically integrated, or if not vertically integrated, the 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 the, the, the greatest suite of nuclear commercial nuclear services and products will be best able to serve that emerging market. And right now, the United States is not able to serve massive swaths of that market, both on the fuel side and on the used fuel, the so-called nuclear waste side. Not to, and, and, and until we get those things right, it's going to be really tough for us to compete, even with our friends in, in Japan and South Korea, not to mention the state-subsidized countries like or state-owned countries like Russia and China. So I think that getting this uranium thing right now can be an important first step into allowing the United States to emerge as really a big-time player in this emerging global commercial nuclear marketplace. Do you agree, CJ? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you have to look back 30 or 40 years, but uh, back then in the, in the 70s, we were dominant. Uh, we were serving all the Western countries, not the the Russian Soviet bloc, but uh, you know what what happened is uh, uh, Europe developed, uh, France in particular developed really good nuclear companies, uh, mainly serving their domestic economies. But uh, when they when they built up that infrastructure, uh, the French, uh, the Germans. The Japanese were able to look outside their domestic market and and compete. Plus, Russia uh, became a major competitor, uh, particularly for countries like India, where uh, where the United States was reluctant to to do nuclear trade with India because they were not parties to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and they developed a weapon. So, we we kind of hamstring ourselves in an effort to compete for a global market share. 
CJ, let's bring this conversation to a close. I want to know if you think that we will end our dependence on Russian uranium in the next decade. Well, the ban gives us the tool to do it. We've got to have Congress pass that. But yeah, I, I don't, in a decade, for sure. Again, I think there's a lot of capacity Within, in the world. Yeah, I, th I think so too. I think no matter how it happens, whether it's by con legislation or by policy, I think, or the market, I think that Russia has really under, undermined its... Um, its long-term viability as a trusted partner in and, and the United like States st still has more than ninety reactors. We are still the biggest market for nuclear fuel. There you go, CJ. Thank you very much. Thank you for being Jack. a guest on the Power Hour, and thank you to everyone who took some time out of your day to listen to the podcast. And please, if you enjoyed it, tell your friends, family, and colleagues to check it out. Check us out. And email us at thepowerhour at heritage.org. Now, before we end, CJ, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, one of the reasons why I'm in favor of the ban is I think it will accelerate investment in U.S. fuel infrastructure. And All right. I, 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 I use the precedent of uh, the conquistador Cortez uh, invading Mexico uh, his army came in ships, uh, they landed on the beach, and he burned the ships. We've got no option to return. We have to move ahead. And so CJ wants to burn the ships of <laughs> Russian uranium. Well, I, I know. And that I, will provide yeah. the market certainty. All right, exactly. I got you. I as, got you. I got as you. long as U.S. consumers of, of, of nuclear fuel have the option of really cheap Russian uranium, uh, they're they're going to buy that. That's their mm -hmm. economic interest, and I don't fault them for that. But uh, it compromises our national economic and uh, and and military security to be right. dependent on them. All right. So we're going to burn the ships. Got it. No, I think that that's. I think that um, we're going to react the ships. We're going to react <laughs> the ships. Yeah. There you go, Lauren. By the way, you were awesome today. Thank you for being part well, of. Thank the you for having hour. me. This is. I'm. I'm. I feel so much smarter than I did one hour ago. Will you come back? Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm glad that you agreed to. I'm going. I'm going to hold yeah. you to that. And there was no open bar this time. No. Maybe next time. <laughs> maybe next time. John. Pop. Yes. Any final words from you? Yes, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> I thought it's react, baby, react. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're reactionaries around here. There we are. <laughs> there you go, folks. Remember to email us at thepowerhour@heritage.org. Thank you, John and Lauren and CJ. Thank you for being a guest. Most importantly, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time.